Bread. 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 That's all you get. You have to listen to it. I'll give you I'll give you the title. About that. reading from John chapter 6 verses 25 to oh, sorry, 28 to 51. I was going to start earlier, sorry. <sighs> then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of who he sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me.
No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But there is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. All right, so we are continuing the metaphors of God, and today I'm speaking on God, the bread of life. So this passage that Raywin read for us is it's something like the idea of Jesus the, being the bread of life. It's something that as Christians we're, we're kind of familiar with, that we, we hear it a lot. It's, it's not too unusual to our ears. And the most important message of this sermon on the topic is, is that God is the bread of life. You know, we've, we've covered this idea a few times recently, um, back at Passover, we were talking about when the Israelites were wandering in the, in the desert after being rescued from Egypt. You know, for around 40 years, God provided food for them. You know, it was this miraculous bread-like thing they called manna in the desert. It appeared every morning for them, and this was God sustaining and providing for his people. And then today we've read Jesus saying, you know, I am the bread of life. That, that manna from the book of Exodus that was something that pointed to Jesus. And this is actually one of those times where Jesus does a really good ex- job of explaining things. And it, it sounds a bit rude to say, but I, he often doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't give the full explanation. He speaks in parables, and we don't always get a, a full explanation behind the scenes of what he means. Sometimes we see it. Uh, but this is one of those really good examples where it's, it's spelled out for us. He gives us, he makes the connection clear specifically what characteristics of that bread he's referring to. When he says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So that's, that's what he's referring to when he says, I am the bread. He says, back then it was God who provided. The bread came from God. It's the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, that's, that's what he means. That's what he's referring to. He says, I came down from heaven and I give life to the world. It's a pretty straightforward connection really, isn't it? Um, that should really be the end of the sermon. Um, that's, that's the main focus. That's the main conclusion and the most important thing to remember. But unfortunately, you're not let off that easy. One of the things I love learning more about the Old Testament is, is when you start to get a better understanding of what the people would have associated some of these things with. You know, Jesus is teaching to people that knew their Old Testament well. So when he's talking about bread, they've got a little bit more understanding than we do. We come to the text missing so much background that they had. So I'm going to dig into a few examples in the Old Testament where they use bread that represents a whole lot more that also point to Jesus. And we'll see that there's even more depth than we think there is. You know, when Jesus is saying, I'm the bread from the desert, he he makes it clear he's meaning I came from heaven and I give life. But there's even more to it than that. So we're going to look at three examples of bread in the Old Testament and how that there are shadows that point to Jesus. You know, they're metaphors for Jesus. And two of these we're probably pretty familiar with, but the third, perhaps not so much. 
So the first one is the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and this is the bread surrounding Passover. So again, we, we covered this earlier in the year. Uh, for those of you who came to our Passover meal back at Easter, hopefully you'll remember that you know, incredible symbolism that we found in the bread at the Feast of Passover. We remember that you know, for a week before the Passover feast, they would remove all the yeast from the house. So any cereals, any, anything with yeast in it, out it goes. And, and a lot of Jews still do that to this day. Bread made without yeast, this is representing, the, the yeast or the leaven represented sin. The analogy was that just a little bit of yeast or a little bit of leaven puffs up the whole dough. And that was the, yeah, so that's the reflection to sin. A little bit of sin spoils the whole batch. It was a time to reflect and repent. And then at the Passover meal, at the end of the week, they had the this, this same bread, but there was a special piece, the, the matzah piece, that had a really important part of the meal. And it's, it was quite incredible to see how obvious it all pointed to Jesus, wasn't it? You know, Jesus died at Passover. His last, the last supper was a Passover meal with his disciples. The night before he died, he, said, he grabbed the bread and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that specific bread that Jesus is comparing himself, it's the unleavened bread at Passover. It's not a random piece of bread. Specifically, it was what we refer to as the afikomen. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. That was a, a piece of bread that had a, an important part of the ceremony where they broke the bread at the beginning and then they hid a pat patch of it away, wrapped it in a cloth, and it would be hidden away until later in the evening. And that's when we got the kids out, if you remember. We've, they've got to find this last piece of bread. And that was quite an important part of the ritual. It, it was usually overdramatic. The parents or the, the leaders are saying, you know, we simply can't continue this meal until you find the bread. Um, and that was also a practical way to keep the kids involved. Often these things are running up close to midnight, so it's a good way to keep your kids awake and, and entertained. So that piece of bread that we discover, it was, you know, it was broken at the beginning. It was hidden. It, it was then found again, and it was made without sin. All of those things point to Jesus. The bread itself had holes in it. It was pierced. You have to stab holes in it to stop it from, from puffing up, or else it gets air bubbles in it. Again, another aspect of this bread that points to Jesus, who too was pierced. We learnt that when we celebrate communion, this came out of that Passover tradition. You know, Jesus says, this bread is my body. There's so much more symbolism there than just, just bread. You know, when I was a kid, I used to think you know, the bread and wine that we have at church, wine is red, blood is red, that, that's a good symbol. Bread's kind of like this solid, whitey, breakable thing, good representation of bones. You know, that, that was in my brain the symbolism, and it kind of works, gets the point across. But that wasn't the point at all. Um, there was so much more going on to it than that. The bread that Jesus is referring to is sinless like he is. It was broken like him. It goes missing and everyone is distraught, just like they were when he died. The bread is later found again and everyone celebrates, just like the celebrating after the resurrection of Jesus. So that's our first example of bread in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. Jesus is that Passover bread. And we remember the symbolism in communion. The second example, which we read about this morning, is the, the manna in the desert. 
After that first Passover, the Israelites were in the desert. And God provided for them for 40 years. And we read that he provides this manna that appeared every morning, this bread-like substance. And it was a, a lesson for them to learn. God told them to collect enough for one day. Go out and collect it each morning. And if they tried to stock up for longer, it would go rotten and it would spoil on them. Apart from, for some reason, on the Sabbath, they, well, the, the day before the Sabbath, they could have collect twice as much and it would last for the Sabbath so they didn't have to go collect any that day. God was teaching them to rely on him to provide for them. And at the end of that wilderness wandering, just before they enter the promised land, Moses makes it quite clear what it's all about in the words in Deuteronomy. He says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we read earlier, you know, Jesus makes that clear, that connection in the desert, that that's pointing to him. He is the true bread from heaven. It was a metaphor for Jesus. But notice the different characteristics there than the Passover bread. Passover bread was about sinless, broken, hidden, revealed. This one is about coming from heaven and, and providing. It was, it was provision, giving life. So the bread was also sent from heaven, as was Jesus, and they both gave life to the world. So those first two examples, you know, we, we're somewhat familiar with those. We, we hear about them from time to time at church. But this third one is a little bit more obscure. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert, Moses is given instructions to build a tabernacle and various other items. And the tabernacle is kind of like version one of the temple. It's, it's mobile, it's basically a big tent and a bunch of other items that could all be transported easily. You know, this is when they're wandering through the desert, so they, they move them as they go and they, they set up and pack it down all the time. It was modelled on the layout of the temple. God shows Moses the heavenly temple and then gives him instructions to construct this one in a similar fashion. So the tabernacle was known as the tent of meeting. It was where God's presence rested. God says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, God said. So when humans enter this tabernacle, they're meant to realise that they're standing in two places at once, both in heaven and in earth. And every element in this tabernacle represents some other element that would remind them back to the Garden of Eden. They're told that the entrance to the tabernacle must face east, just like we read about in the garden, and that there are cherubim placed by its entrance. Again, we read the same in Genesis. And even the furniture inside represents different aspects of the garden. There's a lampstand that's carved in the, in the shape of a tree, representing the tree of life. And then they have the law resting on the Ark of Covenant, representing the tree of knowledge, the word of God. So this was God's resting place. It was also where man could dwell with God, just like back in Eden. It's this little slice of paradise. So one of the items that's in the tabernacle is this table of showbread. And the main purpose of this table was to hold what they called the bread of the presence, literally trans transcribed as bread of the face. And it was named this because it was placed before the presence of God, or before the face of God. So on this table, there's 12 loaves of bread. They, they call them loaves, but again, they're the flat bread. 
made without yeast. And they're arranged in two rows of six. And those loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The loaves were a food offering to God that was to be perpetually carried out as a covenant reminder. There was always going to be bread on this table. And every Sabbath, the priests would go and they would eat this bread and then would replace it with a fresh batch. It's quite a weird instruction that Moses gives to them, well, God gives to Moses to pass on. But it was highlighted that it was really important that this is a, is a forever thing to do. There should always be bread on this table. And every week you should eat and replace it. So this table is highlighting the covenantal relationship between God and his people. God dwells with Israel in a special way. And there's two main things to notice about the symbolism here. First of all, the table of showbread emphasizes God's covenant with Israel. God promised to redeem and care for them. He is their source of life. He gives them their daily bread. You know, God made this one-sided covenant with Abraham, promising to make his descendants into a great nation and redeem all of mankind through them. So here God's instructing them to always have these loaves of bread on the altar and eat it and replace it weekly. This is, not just a, this is intended as a reminder of the covenant promise. It's not just God saying he's currently providing for them. You know, they, they were currently seeing this in the, the manor in the desert. Every morning they're reminded that God is currently providing for them. But this table of showbread is reminding them that God has promised to and that he will always provide for them that he has promised to dwell with them and make them into a great nation and that the redemption of all mankind would come through their descendants. So it's a reminder not just of provision for now, it's a reminder of the covenant promise. So first of all, the first thing to notice in this is that the, the bread on the table of showbread represents God's covenant promise to provide for the 12 tribes of Israel to turn them into a great nation. You know, impl implicit in that, when you promise to turn them into a great nation, is that God's not going to let them perish, so he's going to provide for them as well. And that the salvation of mankind would come through their descendants. So it's, it's a symbol of hope in God for the future. And secondly, the table of showbread highlights the intimate fellowship that exists between the people of God and God himself. You know, in the Bible, a, a shared meal is quite an important note of a covenant we see, for example, Abraham sharing a meal with God back in Genesis. And in Exodus, after God gave the law to Israel, Moses and the elders went up on the mountain to eat a meal with God. You know, this is what the covenant meal here is, is representing. It's the relationship between God and Israel. Eating in the presence of God revealed that Israel was intimately known and loved by him. So just as the 12 loaves were a food offering to God, they were later eaten by the priestly representatives of the people. It was a perpetual reminder of the intimate fellowship that God shared with his people. And this is kind of an interesting, like the tabernacle and the table of showbreads, an interesting thing that challenges a bit of a, I don't know if a misconception or maybe an oversimplification, oversimplification that we can have as Christians. And this idea that you know, God's holiness prevents him from drawing near to us, or being near to human sin. But we actually see the opposite, don't we? We see God intentionally choosing to live among his people, and he draws nearer and nearer throughout human history. And you notice that this more when you look at the big biblical story. You, get a, you can see how this progresses. That, you know, God dwells with humans first in Eden, and then that reality is lost. 
Then we see here that God reaches out to dwell with his people in the tabernacle. This is his moving home, a tent in the desert. Then later it sets up the temple in Jerusalem, a permanent home for him. Then finally we see him in the presence of Jesus who announces he is the greater temple. You know, not a place, but a person. And then lastly, in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's easy to downgrade what we read here, you know, the significance of God's presence in the tabernacle and in the temple and, and sort of think of it more as just a symbol of God. But it, was, it really was the reality that God was dwelling with humans in these places. God was dwelling with his people with 12 loaves of bread in a tent in the wilderness. So in this example, comparing Jesus with the table of showbread, you know, it's not a symbol of the covenant promise, but it's not just a symbol of the covenant promise and redemption and provision that God would always care for them, but it's also a practical means of fellowship with God. You know, it didn't just represent fellowship with God, it really was sharing a meal with him. It was being in his presence. And that gives us some interesting similarities with Jesus. You know, the table of showbread, it was placed on the, in the Holy of Holies, in the place for fellowship of God, the most sacred part of the tabernacle. And with the death of Jesus, we read that the, the curtain that separated that holy place of the temple was torn in two, symbolizing that there was no longer separation between God and man. You know, previously, previously, it was only the, the priests that could enter on behalf of the nation. It was those priestly representatives that had direct fellowship with God. Now in Jesus, everyone has direct access to, and fellowship with God. And not only does he give us direct access to fellowship with God, he is the means for, to fellowship with God. You know, it's our intimate relationship with Jesus is what does that. So, so the table of showbread is both a symbol of the covenant promises fulfilled and it's the means for true fellowship. So these three different examples of bread that we see in the Old Testament, they're shadows of better realities that we're to follow, realities that have come to fulfillment in Jesus. You know, he is the fullest expression of the unleavened bread at Passover, sinless, broken, hidden, revealed. He is the fullest expression of the manna in the desert. You know, he was sent from heaven, provides life to the church both now and eternally. He's the fullest expression of the table of showbread in the tabernacle. You know, as the presence of God among his people, as the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. You know, these examples, all using bread and different characteristics, they point to Jesus as the bread of heaven. You know, he is the bread of life. He is the bread of presence, the true heavenly manner. And whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood, you know, that is whoever believes in him and remembers him, they have eternal life. The act of feeding upon Christ by faith is symbolized in communion, which isn't restricted to the priests like it was in the Old Covenant with that table of showbread. You know, our communion is it's like a mini compacted version of that Passover meal. You know, I still prefer the fullness of symbolism in that Passover meal, you know, just because it's so in your face. You know, covered by the blood of the lamb, that afikoman, the bread that is broken, hidden, revealed, made without, made without yeast. That's the imagery behind you know, that tiny wafer and the little shot glass of wine that we have on a Sunday. And I'm not, I said this last time, I'm not hating on communion. There are, there are many good things about the simplified version of it. You know, we can do communion every week or two. 
would probably be struggling to have a full-on Passover meal every week. Um, yeah, that would be a lot of lambs. When we do this simplified version in communion, we are partaking in that meal and we are reminded that we are known and loved by him. We are reinstating our trust in God and our need for him to satisfy our souls. See, I love seeing the richness of those symbols when you dig into the Old Testament. And you start to see the, you know, how much forward thinking God did to pull off some of those connections. And you know, I love sharing those details because it's, I think it's good to grow our understanding of Scripture and see that connection with the Old Testament. You know, I mentioned at the start that this is one of those passages that Jesus actually does a pretty clear sermon on. And, you know, often he's speaking in parables without an explanation or speaking cryptically about people that are opposing him. You know, all this foundational knowledge from the Old Testament that we've looked at, you know, it, it's interesting stuff and it's good to know. But it missed the main point that Jesus is emphasizing in his message. You know, he says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. You know, there's urgency in his words, isn't there? He, he's not just telling a story or telling a parable. He's, he's actually telling them the answer to, you know, the question that mankind has been asking and debating forever. The one who believes has eternal life, he says. He then goes on to say that if you that you have to eat the bread, his flesh, to live forever. It, it sounds like he's kind of adding to the requirements that he just said, but they're indeed the same thing. A while back we talked about sacraments in our, in our series on Christian practices, and a sacrament was a physical manifestation of a spiritual truth. So when we eat the bread and wine, we're doing something physical as a representation of a spiritual reality. The bread doesn't save us. But fellowship and relationship with Jesus is what saves. That bread is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. So with that in mind, you know, all that Old Testament background and symbolism, it's, it's great for adding richness to what Jesus has done for us, but it's all just head knowledge. What's more important is what we do with that. And we read time and time again, Jesus tells us that the main point of all of it is him. It's relationship with him. You know, whether that's explained here as, you know, as fellowship in a meal, as the bread of life, or as branches abiding in the vine, you know, the key thing is to remain in relationship with Jesus. He transforms us. We can't do anything without him. So I guess that's probably a, as good a place as any to end. You know, that, the message of Jesus wasn't an opinion or a story. It was an urgent truth, but also really good news that the way to eternal life is belief and relationship with him.